Welcome to the Simple Faith Podcast, where we are exploring authentic Christianity for normal people. We're passionate about stripping away all of those unnecessarily churchy or intellectual words that sometimes muddy the waters and confuse things just a little bit. And instead, we're striving to talk about the things of our faith in a down-to-earth and normal way. If you're new here, my name is Dave Betts, and we've been on a journey in the last few weeks exploring the story of the church. In part one, we looked at a very broad overview of 2,000 years of history, and last week we zoomed in on the first 500 or so years of the church. Today, we're going to delve into the next period of history, sometimes referred to as the Middle Ages or the Medieval Period. Uh, we're picking up where we left off with Rome beginning to fall and Europe and the Pope beginning to rise, and the church having been established as one of the dominant religions, certainly in the Western world at least. So with that in mind, let's jump to 590 AD and listen to this quote from Bruce Shelley's amazing book, Church History in Plain Language, which I recommended last week. I recommend again this week. It's fantastic. Church History in Plain Language. Listen to this quote. Early in 590, Rome was in agony. The city suffered through the tragedies of floods and the atrocities of war only to be smitten by the relentless spread of the plague. The carts were piled high with corpses. People went insane. Rome became a desert and the Pope himself, Pelagius II, died screaming in agony. For six months, no Pope ruled in St. Peter's Basilica. The once great centre of the Roman Empire was in this devastatingly rough spot. Floods and wars and plagues, and there wasn't even a, a pope to lead them. So when the church leaders did elect someone called Gregory to be pope, he was actually so adamant that he wouldn't take the position that he fled the city and was found hiding in the forest and had to be dragged back. People would later refer to this guy as Gregory the Great. And although the popes rightly have this really bad reputation during this period and beyond, Gregory was this humble man who was devoted to serving God and he refused high titles and much of the prestige and stuff like that that would later become a real part of the role of Pope. And as the years went on, what was left of the Roman Empire fell and other kingdoms began to rise. We've talked about this already, the fall of Rome and the rise of Europe. Now, during all of this change, there's a guy in Arabia called Muhammad who's gaining a huge following with a religion known as Islam. By 650, the same time that we have the Visigoths in Spain and the Portugal area, the Anglo-Saxons in England and the Frankish kingdom in kind of central Europe, by that point, the Muslims had split into two groups, the Sunnis and the Shias or the Shiites, who really split over a disagreement over who should take over from Muhammad after he dies. And the religion explodes. And by the 8th century, by around 700 AD, it said that half of all Christians in the world lived under Islamic rule, which is crazy. Islam is just exploding into life. It's expanding really rapidly. So are you following me? We have kingdoms in the West. We have the Muslims in the East. And all is growing and changing rapidly. And life is looking very different to how it did four or 500 years ago. Well, in 711 AD, the Muslims invade the Visigoths in that Spanish region from North Africa. And it becomes a battle of Islam versus Christianity at the time. And it's not a good thing, but it happens. And within seven years, the Visigoths collapse. The Muslim push is strong. They begin to raid the Frankish kingdom in Central Europe. And things are looking pretty dangerous for Western Europe as they knew it until a man named Charles Martel, whose nickname was The Hammer, which is totally awesome, by the way, 
fights off their advances and inflicts such heavy losses on the Muslim army that they were never really a major threat to Central Europe again. This is like Lord of the Rings type stuff here. There are epic defenses of kingdoms, huge battles. It's pretty cool. And Charles Martel is a hero who is succeeded by his son, Pepin the Short in 741, which, by the way, is not such an awesome nickname. And then Pepin the Short is succeeded by his son, uh, Charlemagne. Now, Charlemagne became particularly powerful after protecting Pope Leo III. Leo was grateful, and on Christmas Day in 800 AD, he crowned Charlemagne with a new, but kind of an old title, the Holy Roman Emperor. Now, Charlemagne was a pretty powerful guy, but after him, for a while, there was a lot of civil wars and stuff like that, a lot of fighting for power, which we'll see is a theme throughout human history. And in 962, a guy called Otto the Great becomes king and Holy Roman Emperor. And during his short 11-year reign, he sought to revive the Roman Empire in the West and improve relations with the Byzantine Empire, which is the eastern remains of the Roman Empire where Constantinople was. You might remember from last week that Constantine had moved the capital of the Roman Empire to Constantinople a few hundred years earlier. And really, relations with the West were not great. You know, Otto did a really good job, but unfortunately his relationship with the Pope didn't do so well. And it was this classic power struggle. Like I mentioned before, it's just a constant thing about history is there was power struggle after power struggle after power struggle. And it raised this question that had been bubbling for a while. Who has the more power, the church or the state? This is a debate that would rage on for a really, really long time. And around 100 years or so later, Pope Gregory VII, he took a stand and claimed this unprecedented level of power. And uh, here's a really crazy story about that. So there's this guy called Pope Gregory VII who uh, is, he's proclaiming all this power that he has. And he has this almighty power battle with the German king, King Henry IV. And it was all about who had the ability to choose and install bishops. So in 1076, uh, Henry brings together a council of bishops who declare Pope Gregory unfit to be Pope. So in response, Pope Gregory VII excommunicates Henry, which is a huge, huge deal at the time. And this basically means that his subjects don't have to uh, fulfill their pledge of allegiance, their oath of allegiance to him. And so uh, because of this, the German noblemen start to revolt against Henry IV. They start to rebel. And this is bad news for Henry. And it's a game of chicken. And Henry blinks first. And in January the next year, listen to this, the king, King Henry IV, travels to a place called Canossa in Italy. And get this, he took off all of his royal clothes. He wore a, a hair shirt, which is what monks wore at the time. And legend has it, he stood barefoot in the snow for three days begging for forgiveness from Pope Gregory. That's crazy. It's, it's hard to imagine what a big deal that is. It's almost like the Queen or the pre President of the United States standing outside the Vatican in front of everyone for three days begging for forgiveness. It's, you just can't imagine someone of that level stooping to that, that level. It's, it's crazy. History is a mind-blowing thing. Anyway, he does finally receive forgiveness, but this whole incident is sometimes referred to as the humiliation at Canossa. It's a huge deal. If you want to find out more about that particular event, the whole thing is sometimes described as the investiture controversy. So you just search for that investiture controversy. So let's recap what we've seen so far in this short episode. Rome falls, Europe rises, Muslims invade but are repelled and the Pope gains more and more and more power. A few decades after this controversy between the Pope and King Henry IV in Germany, we move into the era of the Crusades. Thank you.
Nowadays, whether you're Jewish or Muslim or Christian, the Crusades are really rightly looked at as this terrible period for followers of Jesus. There were outrageous abuses and shameful acts committed in the name of the church. And to be honest, we can't shy away from that. We have to own that. But it's also far too simplistic to say that it was purely evil as well. It's never really as black and white as people like to make out. It's very rarely purely evil or purely good. There's often a mixture of both somewhere in there when it comes to history. And by the way, if you've never heard of the Crusades before, you might have seen some things relating to it. For example, if you've ever seen the old classic cartoon Robin Hood, you might remember King Richard the Lion, who's actually King Richard the Lionheart, returning from a war overseas. And he was actually returning from the Crusades. So the question is, what happened? Because this is a big period in church history. Well, As we talked about before, Islam rose rapidly to power and soon had control of lots of key places like Jerusalem. And there was a bit of tension here. So for Christians, this whole region was where Jesus had lived and ministered. And for centuries, peaceful pilgrims would travel to worship where Jesus had been born, where he had lived and where he had died and rose again. And for a long time, Muslims had no problem with this until in the 11th century, they began to persecute these pilgrims. And that was not so good. So by the end of the century, tensions had reached such a fever pitch that the Eastern Emperor Alexius I sent word to the Pope, Urban II his name was, to ask for help. And Pope Urban II proclaims the first crusade. And its intentions are initially good. It was about justice. It was about defending the lives of the innocent and their property. It was about respecting civilians. And the word crusade itself actually comes from this idea of taking the cross. They were supposed to be following the example of Jesus, which is why they wore the cross proudly on their chests as they marched towards Jerusalem. And that was all, in theory, really good, except there was a problem. It really didn't take long for things to descend into chaos. As uh, Shelley reminds us in that Church History in Plain Language book, that the Crusaders were human beings, so their motives were pretty mixed, just like ours are today. And as Urban proclaimed this holy war, he also promised spiritual rewards to the people who went, to the crusaders, things like forgiveness of sin, which is unbiblical, just to be clear. And so in the name of the church, what started as a fight for justice soon became a conquest to destroy the infidels. And uh, Jews and Muslims were viciously, heinously persecuted. Even Christians were raped and plundered. And there are stories of crusaders soaring open dead bodies in search of gold and even stories of cannibalism. It's horrendous. And of the seven crusades in total, the first, it was the most successful in terms of what it accomplished. There was like a 5,000 strong army retaking Jerusalem and overcoming the resistance of the army, but it was fierce and merciless and bloody and horrible and uh, not a good reflection of the church for sure. And a few decades pass and Jerusalem is on the brink of being taken captive once again by the Muslims and Pope Urban II was assembling an army for a second crusade. But the problem is armies aren't cheap and money was tight. And he realized that he could raise money by offering spiritual benefits, things like the forgiveness of sin, stuff like that for a price. And Urban II was pretty good at using his position to manipulate people into joining his war. And it's really not a good thing. I mean, it's it's hard to even talk about that that kind of stuff would happen. But just as an aside, that stuff happens today. I've met a few Catholic people who have come into our church in the last few years who have uh, asked me to give them forgiveness or pray for the dead and various things like that. And they've offered me money. And I have to say, no, we're not taking money to do that kind of thing. We don't believe in that. We think that's wrong. And then you kind of point them to what the Bible does teach. This stuff happens and it's all remnants of a period where Pope Urban II, among many others, were completely abusing their their position for money. 
And so the Second Crusade was a serious failure for the Westerners. It was a monumental victory for the Muslims. And Jerusalem falls, and by uh, 1189, there's a Third Crusade. Now, there's a guy called Saladin. You might recognize that name. He was the Sultan of Egypt and Syria, and he's leading the Muslims. And then there is Richard the Lionheart from the Robin Hood movie, and he's one of the main leaders of the Crusader army. You have these guys going up against each other and they actually agree a three-year truce, which gives free access to Jerusalem for Christian pilgrims, which is all good. Everything seems well. But by the fourth crusade, things are kind of descending into even more chaos. There's a new pope with a new passion for a new crusade, but it's a passion that isn't really shared by the people in the way that it once had been. Long story short, the Crusaders connect with the Venetians who basically pressure those Crusaders into attacking Constantinople on the way to the Holy Land. Now, remember that Constantinople is a Christian city. So this is a big deal. Constantinople falls and after ravaging the city, the Crusaders just kind of forget about the whole Holy Land issue. It's just crazy. It's mind-blowing that this is actually history. And Constantinople would never be the same by 14. 53, it falls to the Turks and then the leadership of the Eastern Church kind of moves towards Moscow or what is Moscow today, I guess. And there are a few other crusades and rumors of a children's crusade, which is just outrageous. Apparently some kids were sent on this crusade as young, well, just really young kids to go and fight the Muslims, which is just outrageous. And essentially this whole period between 1095 and 1291 was just a colossal failure and it's a blight on the history of the church. It's just not a good thing. And from the Pope's gross misuse of power to the army's atrocity committed in the name of Jesus, there's just so little to speak well of about the church during this time. I think the best thing that we can possibly say is that it kind of sort of started with good intentions and really those intentions didn't last very long. It's not a good thing. By the way, one of the few good things to come out of this period of time was a Christian philosopher and theologian called Thomas Aquinas. You might have heard of that name, Thomas Aquinas. He had this profound effect on Christian thought and teaching over the centuries. And one of the other bad things that we should mention that came out of this period was that the Pope authorized torture in order to get confessions of heresy from people. And if they were found guilty, they would be handed over to the authorities to be burned at the stake. This is not good stuff, as you can probably imagine. So that takes us to about 1300 AD. And really the next 200 years or so is often referred to as the decline of the Middle Ages. There's people of all walks of life who are beginning to question the enormous power of the Pope and the way that the church is being expressed, not to mention the fact that nations like England and France are growing significantly more powerful than they had been before. And that same power battle that had happened over and over again before, and particularly a few hundred years earlier with Pope Gregory VII and Henry IV, was happening again. But the result was very different. In fact, this time around, the kings of France and England won decisive victories in this power struggle. For example, King Philip of France responded to the Pope's kind of power grab by refusing any export of gold, silver or jewels from his kingdom, which meant that the Pope suddenly lost a major source of revenue. Then Pope Boniface, who was 86 at the time, by the way, took this pretty intense step of making a declaration of his power to the kingdom. He basically wanted everyone to know that he was the most powerful person that there was. and well, it was kind of like that game of chicken between the Pope and a king before, but this time King Philip responded differently to King Henry IV. This time his troops broke into Boniface's vacation home in the mountains and took him prisoner for a few days. And um, People in the town did come and rescue him eventually, but he died within a few weeks and the papacy or the role of the Pope would never be the same again. So of course, there's a whole bunch of other things going on. For example, at one point in around 
1377, there's a whole controversy around the election of Pope Urban VI. So another pope is elected alongside him. So crazily, for nearly 40 years, there's a Pope Urban in Rome and there's a Pope Clement in Avignon in France. But then it gets even more ridiculous. In 1409, a bunch of cardinals meet in Pisa in Italy. They depose those two popes and elect a new one. But the problem is neither of the other two popes want to step down. So believe it or not, at one time there was three popes in in the world. And it's kind of a ridiculous thing. And it just shows how much power can corrupt, which is kind of the theme of today's podcast, right? So like I said last week, I really hope that you find this as interesting as I do. It's, it's really hard to make up some of this stuff. It's just madness. We're going to leave it here for now with a short episode. I mean, there's a lot of other things we could cover, but I think next week we're going to focus on one of the most important periods of the Christian faith, the Reformation, which will kind of overlap with some of the things that are happening during this period. But before we finish, let's just summarize what we've looked at today. So Rome is no longer the power it once was. It's kind of leaving space for Europe to rise from its ashes. Muslims attempt an attack on Europe from Africa. It doesn't go so well. We don't hear much from the Muslims until they start persecuting Christians in the 11th century or so. And the Pope gains a ridiculous amount of power, which eventually culminates in him declaring a holy war, the Crusades. And they're anything but holy, but they really do a lot to erode faith in the Pope. And this constant fight for power among kings and popes causes all sorts of grief, but the kings are starting to win the battles and the prospective popes are not only abusing their authority, but they're fighting among themselves. And it's really not a great look. So that's it from this episode of the Simple Faith podcast. I I recognize it's a shorter than normal episode and there is a lot to cover. There's a lot of names and a lot of events, but good or bad, this is our history as the church and it's a good thing to be aware of it. So I've deliberately kept it shorter so that we can really focus on some of the key details. But if you do have any questions, feel free to get in touch by emailing us at simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, wherever you are in the world and whatever you're up to, have an amazing week and I will speak to you very soon. Bye. 